Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Psalm chapter 2. This psalm will be very familiar to you because you've heard it before quoted in the New Testament. This is one of the most important psalms in all the Psalter. If you look at Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2, you'll notice these are a type of introduction to the book of Psalms. Scholars have noticed as you move through the Psalms, especially Psalms 2 through 89, a lot of the themes that we find in Psalm 2 are picked up over and over again in the book of Psalms. This is a psalm that's attributed to the Davidic dynasty to the time of David. So as we work through these readings in 1st and 2nd Samuel, these psalms are very important because we get insights into this household of David and the dynasty of David. So we know in 2nd Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. Remember, David wants to build God a house. He wants God to have a dwelling place. God's dwelling place is in a temporary tent as he is in a palace that's made with cedar. And David looks at that and says, you know, this is not right. God should have a permanent dwelling place. And God tells David, you have blood on your hands, so you're not going to be able to build my house. But then God makes this promise with David that God will establish a house for David. So there's this motif of house. And God is going to install this dynastic kingdom of David. Now we know in the exile, when the Israelites go to Babylon, that dynasty will be crushed that you'll have your last of, of the Davidic kings for a while. But then there's these prophecies that creep up where there's like this stump, and this shoot will come from this stump, and it's the stump of Jesse. Of course, Jesse is David's father. And so there's hope that the, the roots are still there of the Davidic kingdom. And we know when Jesus comes on the scene, that is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to David, that Jesus will be the true Davidic king that will rule the entire earth. So with that in mind, Psalm 2 makes a lot of sense. Psalm 2, yes, was written about David. Yes, it was written about the Davidic kingdom in that time. But it's also prophetic, which means it's looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Jesus fits the description of what we find in Psalm 2. So with all that in the background, let's read this entire psalm together. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrifying them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there's this idea of in the beginning, the kings of the earth are coming together and conspiring against God's anointed one. 
So we could just imagine maybe some council chamber somewhere where these kings come together and they say, you know what, we're going to break the bonds. We're going to be freed from God's ruler. So they're going to rise up against God's anointed and they've got this plot uh, that's afoot to take down God's king. And then God rises up and gives warning to these kings. And we see some language here that we're not used to. Language such as, these nations will be dashed with a, a rod of iron, broken into pieces. These nations that look powerful, these nations that look like they will never be taken down, they will never be destroyed. God will crush them as, think of an iron scepter going through a, a clay vessel, smashing it to pieces. That God is powerful and mighty and holy. And as we look at this psalm, we see that it's fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Let's think of a place in the New Testament where we hear this psalm. If you go back to Acts chapter 4, if you remember, the church has just had its birth. The gospel is being proclaimed in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost was a huge success. But after Pentecost, there's opposition from the Sanhedrin and the rulers of the Jewish people. They call Peter and John in and they tell them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they, they warn them sternly. So there's real danger here in this story. And then Peter and John go back to the fellow followers and they tell them what happened. And this is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Listen to what Peter and John say. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this part. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So after this warning by the Sanhedrin and the rulers of their day, Peter and John go back and say, you know what? This is a fulfillment of what David said in Psalm 2. So they're saying exactly what David wrote about, this is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes as we see this plot against Jesus. So let's go in and listen to this plot, picking back up in verse 27 of Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon your threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders to perform to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they say, listen, we know this story. David told us in Psalm 2 that the kings of the earth will plot they will come together. They will rage against God's anointed. They're going to push back against God's good and just reign. They're not going to capitulate to the reign of Jesus. So you have the kings of the earth. You have Herod, who represents this false king of the Jews, this Idumean. And then we have Pontius Pilate, this Goyim, this Gentile. Matter of fact, the psalm specifically talks about the Gentiles, the Goyim taking their stand against God's anointed. And that's what you see with Pontius Pilate. So he's conspiring with Herod. He's conspiring with the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the Jews. And they plot in their chambers and try to take down God's anointed. But God will be victorious. 
And in one sense, the resurrection was a victory against these powers. But let us not forget, there's a day coming when Christ will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want us to focus on that for just a minute. Because sometimes I think these Gentile rulers understand the kingship of Jesus more than Christians do. You see, in Christianity, we've almost turned faith and salvation into a a negotiation. I come to Jesus, I become a Christian, and then I negotiate the terms of this covenant. I decide what I want to obey and what I don't want to obey. And the Gentiles understood, especially in this story, that kingship means kingship. It means allegiance. So I want to challenge all of us to see salvation is more as gospel allegiance. That every square inch of my life is given over to Jesus. This is not a negotiation. This is a surrender to the will of King Jesus who is powerful, who will conquer the nations. And it may not seem like it right now, but there's a day coming that Christ will return in power and in victory. I can't help but think of the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you remember Aslan, the lion, he is the Christ figure in the book. And so there's this question, this little girl Lucy, she's talking to Mr. Beaver. If you've read the book, maybe you've seen the movie. But she's asking about this mythical Aslan creature. And she's pretty scared to meet him. She doesn't know what to think about this lion creature. And she asks if he is safe. And I love the interaction. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Following Jesus is not going to be safe. Notice that in Acts chapter 4. The disciples are persecuted. You notice they don't pray for the persecution to end. They pray for boldness. We serve King Jesus, who's like a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's not safe, but he's good. He's our king, and he loves us, and he knows what's best for us. And he calls us to total allegiance. I hope these thoughts stay with you as you consider gospel allegiance. It's not a negotiation. He is king, and we are his subjects. 